Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things Substrate, Polkadot, and Web3. The information provided is for informational purposes only and is subject to change without notice. This podcast session does not constitute, either explicitly or implicitly, any provision of services or products by Parity Technologies, also known as Parity. All statements, including forward-looking statements made regarding companies, securities, or digital assets are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Parity or guest speakers and are not endorsements by Parity of any company or recommendations by Parity to buy, sell, or hold any security or digital asset. Parity and its clients, as well as its related persons, may, but do not necessarily, have financial interests in securities or digital assets or issuers that are discussed. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Relay Chain Podcast. It's been a while since I've been able to communicate with you folks, um, but we're back again with the original duo host, uh, Joe Petrowski and myself, Jorn, here. And um, we're going to dive into a, a pretty exciting up-and-coming topic of common good parachains. Um, that's primarily what Joe's been working on for the last little while. So we're going to kind of pick up that conversation where we left off and see what Joe's been up to, talk about some common good parachains that are now in the works and on the horizon, uh, and what all of this kind of means for the Polkadot ecosystem. So welcome back, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be part of the comeback or double comeback. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's um, let's do a, a redefinition of what a common good parachain is, because maybe that's changed slightly since we talked last. Yeah, so I think the last time we talked, statements may have not even been launched yet, right? Mm -hmm, it yeah. was like still an idea, and at least on Kusama, State Mine was the very first parachain that was on the network at all. So uh, we had this idea of common good parachains for a long time, and it dates back to sometime. I think 2018 or 2019, uh, Gav gave this presentation at one of the first dot-com conferences in Berlin that was like kind of part of the Web3 Summit, where he mentioned this idea of having like some subset of parachain slots being allocated for system functionality. And then there's also this older issue in the Polkadot repo. It's called like a hermit relay chain. Like how do we make the relay chain transactionless? So every transaction on the network is actually being handled on a parachain because the whole point of Polkadot is that like we have this this idea to, to scale uh, a blockchain network and be able to process more transactions by processing them in parachains. So even for the transactions that are directly related to the operation of Polkadot itself, we should try to put those into parachains because it makes the whole network more efficient. So that was like, yeah, like 20, let's call it mid-2019, where we had this idea that like some of the parachain slots are going to be allocated via governance to chains that are designed to provide core functionality to the Polkadot protocol. So when we kind of like took on the project of how do we reason about these and what's their like what's their real role? Uh, I first put them into these two buckets, one being system chains and the other being like public utility chains. So the system chains are really easy. It's basically stuff that's already in the relay chain. So governance, staking, balances, Parachain auctions uh, would be another one. So these are basically like, this is what defines the Polkadot protocol. How does somebody get a parachain slot? How do you become a validator? How do you decide the future of the network via governance? Right, so these are like system chains. These are like, by definition, the Polkadot protocol. And then there's other stuff where it's like, it starts to get a little bit fuzzier. So you could take like crowd loans, for instance. We have a crowd loans palette on the Polkadot relay chain, 
But this is basically just like one strategy to let a bunch of people collectively participate in a parachain auction. But it's by no means the only way that they could collectively participate. You could have a bunch of different uh, crowd loan palettes that implements different strategies for how they let people organize together and participate in an auction. And it could be different like um, organizational uh, strategies or it could even be like different bidding strategies in the auction itself. So, you know, this starts to become like a little bit like, well, crowd loans, they're not really part of the core Polkadot protocol. They're not really important to deciding like, we obviously we have to have a parachain set, right? Like, you can't have a Polkadot network think that you know Para ID two thousand fifty is a parachain and is not a parachain at the same time. Like, there has to be a decision. So the auction system that decides like parachain registration that's part of the core protocol. The crowd loan mechanism is a nice feature for users to have because there's not many individual users out there who want to actually acquire a parachain slot themselves. They usually want to cooperate and coordinate in some way to do that together. The crowdloan palette provides one way for them to do that. But it's not really critical to the core functioning of Polkadot in its like service of validating, of like selecting parachains and actually validating them. So then you get this question like, well, is this really like a core, you know, which buckets you put it in? Like, is it is it? It's like it's a little bit opinionated. It's like a little bit of a public utility. Like, this is this is a nice thing, uh, a nice feature for Polkadot to have because without it, the auction system is just not really that accessible. But you can get like much farther out on the opinionation spectrum. You can get into like some palette for creating DAOs or yeah, what else? Like a certification or like a domain registry. Like all of this stuff. Like. Um, it's like, well, then we start to get, okay, is this really like part of the core Polkadot system? But maybe the Polkadot network wants to have one of these chains uh, in like a, a permanent lease. And like, it might, you might not have like, like a business model or like a token model around uh, like a domain registry system. But the, the network agrees that this is a useful part of the system. So they, they kind of bring it in and, and give it a, a slot as a parachain. Uh, and it's like, okay, this is like a, a public utility parachain. And this was a kind of naive way to reason about it before we launched any parachains. As we saw a lot of parachains get developed and, and come to the network, it, it became clear that this was not really like a great way to, to categorize things. So a, a few issues came up. One is that usually a chain has more than one palette. So it, it's like, in my opinion, I, I would really like to put um, like auctions as a parachain. So instead of having all of these like bidding and crowd loan stuff happening on the relay chain, we would just have a parachain that has all the auction and crowd loan transactions. And at the end of the auction, it can just send a cross-chain message uh, to the relay chain with just an integer. It would just be like, this is the para ID that won the auction. So you should onboard this as a parachain, right? That takes all of those transactions off the relay chain and basically consolidates them into a single message that says, onboard this parachain. But it would also make sense, you know, if, if crowd loans is the way that most people are accessing the auction system, it would just make sense to have the crowd loan palette be in the same chain as the auction palette. And then it's like, well, we can't really categorize this chain anymore because it's providing core system functionality, uh, but it's also, it has this like opinionated way of participating in it. Mm -hmm. and. You kind of say the same thing about like staking and nomination pools, right? Like staking is core to the security of the network. And there's lots of ways to stake. You could run a validator. You could 
Um, you could be a nominator and uh, choose your validators directly yourself, or you could join a pool. And if we made a staking pair chain, it would make sense to put the staking pools along with the way that normal nominators staked and the way that validators declare their intent to validate. But the nomination pools is like an opinionated way of like, this is one way to participate in staking, right? Like you can also go to Kraken and, and stake there or like through some other like third party service. So um, this is just like one means. And then it's hard to say that like, well, a staking parachain itself is a system parachain or a utility parachain. It makes it very, very vague and very political. And uh, the political part we can handle. We have this uh, amazing governance system that takes a plurality of opinions and finds a way to resolve them to a decision that everybody agrees. They might not agree with a decision, but they agree that uh, some set of rules was followed to make a decision. And kind of like one of these corporate value type of things, like disagree and commit, mm -hmm. like we can be like, okay, uh, I didn't agree with that decision, but it was a, a clear and transparent decision-making process. And I understood the process before the decision was taken. Uh, and so I can kind of buy into this that like I'm a member of this network and uh, this was the decision that everybody made. What I'm gathering from what you're saying is the, the jury is still out on the, the direct, um, uh, very clear kind of rules around what it uh, what a common good parachain is. Um, but I also heard you use a couple other terms in there like uh, system parachain or, or utility parachain. Um, and are these some of the nuances or some of the new kind of terminologies that we're starting to use to distinguish between these sorts of things and, and have a way, a language to kind of speak when we're talking about them? So the political part we can handle because we have this the system of actually taking a, a plurality of opinions or proposals and arriving at a decision whether we should do or not do a certain action uh, and people people might not agree with it they might not agree with the decision but they've agreed with like the decision making process mm -hmm. so polkadot can handle the political part but it's not really good at handling the vague part and actually the the cool thing about polkadot and what makes all of this governance stuff possible is that we have that polkadot is a meta protocol and that like it's just uh the protocol describes itself Right, so we're able to make these chain changes, and this is how everybody knows that the decision-making process was followed faithfully, and they don't need to like, they don't need to trust a validator to update their clients to do a hard fork. The system, if everybody agrees that we should upgrade uh, the Polkadot protocol, then the protocol itself will upgrade without trusting anybody else to actually carry out the decision that was made on chain. So we need actually like a deterministic rules to a set of rules to follow that actually determines what the protocol is so we want to get kind of beyond this like vague question remove the vagueness from the decision uh, and so i guess like the, the direction that i'm going is that we have a lot of these these systems that we want to call like part of the polka dot protocol and we just call them system chains and that's it so like if we have agreement from the stakeholders of polka dot uh, via a referendum, then we can make this a system parachain. And then we kind of get out of this like, well, this is a common good parachain and it has some like system functionality like auctions and it has like some utility functionality like uh, crowd loans um, and, and trying to like kind of like pick apart these parachains and put the whole parachain in a bucket or something. Uh, no, just it's it's part of the Polkadot protocol. And so it's a system parachain. Awesome. And uh, I like that. Um we're beginning to like think ahead about um, the, not only the system level parachains, but then the pallets that are being put on them and abstracting all of this stuff away from the relay chain. 
Um, which brings me to another question is like, why do we actually want this? I think you kind of touched on that, but like really, like what is the benefit overall um, to the ecosystem by having these, this separation of duties? Yeah, so this will get a little bit technical, but uh, when you have, let's just take, let's just assume that we have say, um, you know, a thousand validators in the network. When they import a block, it goes through like a certain stage of execution, right? So it's going to have this like, what we call uninitialize. So we could call it like the initialization section. And, and then there's this transaction section where it processes all the user submitted transactions. And then there's a little bit of stuff that gets executed at the end to kind of like finish up making this block. Um, and the way that Polkadot actually supports its parachains is that um, it assigns validators to each parachain. So right now it's uh, five validators per parachain. Um, and those five validators will execute all of the transactions that were in that particular parachain. And then they put, some, put together some proofs that it was executed correctly um, and that it followed the state transition function of that parachain. And then it takes those proofs and distributes them around to some other of its validator friends and they kind of double check and make sure that like, yeah, this, this was done correctly. And all in all, it's about like, I think it's five validators per parachain who actually validate these transactions directly and they have to validate it kind of like in time. Like they have a timeout where like they have to process and submit this block as yes or no within uh, some quite strict time limit. And then they send it out to, I think it's 13 other validators uh, to do the double checking and they kind of have to, they have to double check it before the block can be finalized on the relay chain, but they don't have a, a, a really strict time limit. They can kind of like, they can get around to it, you know, a couple seconds later or something. And so what you actually end up with is about like say 15 to 20 validators um, processing the transactions in each parachain, but every validator processes every transaction on the relay chain. So if you think about it, like if you have a transaction in a parachain, it's going to be validated by 20 validators. And if you have a transaction in the relay chain, it's going to be validated by a thousand validators. So when a validator imports a block, it has this kind of like initialization section. And in that initialization section, it's going to have a list of all of the parachain headers that its validator peers have um, have also looked at and validated and have agreed that like these should be included and finalized. So um, it needs to go through and, and check all of those and actually make sure that they've been double checked enough times and that enough validators have agreed to them that there aren't any disputes about whether or not they're actually valid or not. And then it can move on to actually processing the transactions that were submitted directly to the relay chain. So if you think about like we have this limited amount of block space per block, um, and if you just think about it like in terms of time, it's right now two seconds. You have two seconds to go through um, as a validator. You have two seconds to go through all of the initialization stuff, like checking that all the other parachains have been properly validated, and go through all of the transactions that were submitted to the relay chain directly. So if we actually remove some of the transactions that were submitted to the relay chain directly and just put them into a parachain, that actually leaves more time in the initialization section to process uh, all the parachains in the network because there aren't going to be as many transactions to fill up the, the user transaction part of the relay chain block. So um, I think a lot of people have this misconception that Polkadot has like some fixed number of slots, like there's 100 slots or something, and that if some parachain is allocated a slot by governance, then it's like taken that slot from somebody else who like a community team who, who is wanting to like build their project and launch their token or, or do whatever they want as a parachain. And it's really not the case. 
Like by putting some core functionality of the system into a parachain, we're actually taking out of taking those transactions out of the relay chain and making more room to validate entire parachains. So uh, just by taking these transactions out and saying like, okay, now instead of validating having these validated by a thousand validators, we can have them validated by twenty validators and get the same security guarantees. Um, but we can also it gives those validators so much more time to go process more parachains. So by moving these into system parachains, we get to push that limit. Like instead of 100 parachains, maybe there's going to be 120 parachains or 140 parachains or, or so on. And uh, I know like in your kind of like outline, you wanted to talk about like some of these thread pools and stuff. So like we can talk about like, you know, tens of thousands of, of parachains or parathreads. And so actually like, I, I just think it's like a bad way to think about it that like some, like a parachain who has a slot because of governance, uh, this is not taking like a piece of a pie. This is making the pie bigger so that we can support more parachains in the network. Yeah, I think that's um, such an interesting uh, concept where uh, it seems almost counterintuitive that adding more parachains would give capacity to have more parachains because that's kind of what we're saying here. Um, but it, it does make sense in a logical sense that we're removing some um, core logic for a lot of people, a lot of validators to run, or removing that and making it only necessary that a smaller amount can run, therefore increasing the kind of capacity of the entire network. So that's amazing. So let's talk about like how these um, system level parachains are being built right now. You yourself are managing a team that's building some, but as I understand it, some community teams are also out there building some. So what is this uh, system level common good kind of parachain ecosystem look like right now? Yeah, definitely. So like my team works on a few of them. So uh, statement being one, although we've had quite a few contributions from the ecosystem, uh, especially this one guy from PureStake has made quite a few contributions to statements. So it's not by any means like just our project. Like we've gotten quite a lot of contributions externally. Uh, we're also working on uh, this collectives parachain. So there's actually uh, an open referendum on Polkadot to, to add that. So that one that one's going to be pretty cool. Um, and we're going to add some other some other features to that in the in the coming months. Uh, then there's a bridge hub. So. This is one of these cool like team separation type of things. Like um, my team focuses on launching uh, system parachains, and so we tend to be very focused on like the runtime level, right? So like if you're a developer, um, you might go to like a Cumulus or a Polkadot repo, and you would see this like directory that said like you know runtime source lib.rs or something. Like we work a lot on that like kind of runtime zone, and so we can put together like, okay, this is like a parachain that's going to host bridges, right? But like my team didn't build any bridges ourselves. We just kind of um, put together this runtime that says like, okay, this is going to be a parachain that hosts uh, bridges. And yeah, we're calling this the bridge hub. Um, then Parity has a team uh, dedicated to bridges. So they're working on a Polkadot Kusama bridge and eventually a generic, just like any substrate to any substrate chain bridge. Uh, and then another team, Snowfork, is working on something called Snowbridge. That's going to be a bridge between, uh, I mean, there'll be two bridges, one between Kusama and Ethereum and one between Polkadot and Ethereum. Uh, those are the main ones that, that we're working on now. We have some other kind of like distant system parachain ideas, but also like quite a few enhancements just to uh, statement, bridge hub, and collectives parachain uh, that, that's going to be like quite a big focus over the next year. Uh, and then we have some other teams in the in the ecosystem working on system chains. So there's like on Kusama, there's this team in Cointer. They've done this like uh, 
proof of personhood protocol that verifies like one account, one person. So um, this would be useful to, you know, Polkadot and Kusama have stake-weighted voting or stake and conviction-weighted voting. Uh, but there might be some parachains out there that want to do like one person, one vote type of voting systems. And so Encointer would be uh, a useful thing for them to get this uh, get this type of proof of personhood. Uh, and then we have some other teams. Uh, Sequester is working on something for kind of like uh, channeling ecosystem transaction fees or treasuries into carbon offsetting projects, but not directly, right? So like there's all these uh, projects that will kind of like evaluate carbon offsetting schemes or, or carbon credits. Uh, and so Custer is basically like choosing good evaluators or good curators and saying like, look, we might have, you know, thousands of tokens in the Polkadot ecosystem and you as a carbon credit curator probably don't want to handle the logistics of um, dealing with all of these different tokens. So um, we can kind of take all of those and give people, give like each parachain its own carbon offsetting strategy, whether it wants to like divert some of its treasury funds or take a cut of every transaction fee. Um, it gives people like really customizable um, interfaces and palettes to come up with their own strategy of how they want to do carbon offsetting for their particular app or parachain. And then it just sends their own token to Sequester and Sequester can handle it. And they just like figure out like, okay, like we'll, We'll execute your strategy for you, and we'll make sure this gets to a team like Bitgreen, uh, who's going to actually do the the curation and, and find like good projects. That, and I think they can even like match certain mandates. So like, you might have one parachain that wants like they think most of their most of their collators or like far carbon footprint is in Asia or something, and so they can say like we want these to be directed towards carbon offsetting pre projects that are going to be uh, have an impact in Asia. So yeah, I, I think there's like there's quite a few community teams working on, on system level chains as well. That's awesome. And so like what I'm hearing is that we're we're dog fooding in a sense. We've created a system where interoperability is like the buzzword. It is the future. It is the now. Um, and and we're creating all of these system level parachains. Uh, and but what is underpinning all of this is XCM and the ability to actually communicate across these chains and and you just gave some really cool examples, really thought-provoking examples of how um, these common good or these system level parachains can be the ecosystem that other teams can build upon and then using XEM like leverage other parachains. I think this is the the picture is starting to come into focus here and it's just amazing to be a part of the movement. Um, so I'll kind of want to like you mentioned a bunch of projects there, but I want to dip into each one and, and dig into it a little bit. Um, so let's start with the collectives palette and then see, or the collectives parachain, sorry, and see what is, what's going on there. Yeah, so uh, Substrate has this quite powerful uh, primitive called an origin and most developers are probably familiar with it. So every single function that you call in Polkadot or Substrate has an origin, like it has to come from somewhere. So for most users, this would be an account. Right, like um, your the origin of a transaction would just be the your account ID, um, what you might think of as an address, and then uh, we also have this like root origin, right? Like this can do everything, so it can like force transfer, it can set people's balance, it can upgrade the runtime, all this stuff. And there's multiple ways to like access some of these origins, but these are like two extremes. Like so, you might say that like uh, the root origin is like all powerful, so we only want to access it via like uh, a referendum or something that involves all the individual accounts. And then 
uh, accounts, you actually want to be not very privileged, right? Like they should only be able to do stuff that kind of concerns their account, but like you don't want my account to be able to transfer the balance on your account. Like that's not okay. But then Polkadot, our substrate, is very flexible in defining custom origins. So um, there's this palette called the Collectives Palette, and you can just define like we want to take a bunch of account IDs and or even origins generically, um, but let's just use account IDs to make this a little bit easier, or even addresses might be a little bit more uh, relatable. Let's just take a bunch of addresses and group these together. And we can kind of configure this in certain ways. So we could configure it so that um, the membership is set via an election, just like the staking election that chooses the validators. You can have the same type of election to choose who's a member of this group. Or you could say, well, uh, governance has to set the members of the group uh, via a referendum, but then the group can kind of, we let them manage themselves, right? Like the members of the group get to choose who comes into the group or who gets kicked out. You could even say that one collective gets to manage the membership of another collective. And that's actually how it is on Polkadot now. So like we have this council and the technical committee. These are actually just two instances of the exact same palette. They're just configured differently. So the council says uh, the membership of the council is chosen by an election by all of the dot holders. And then the technical committee says the members of this council or this uh, collective are chosen by the council, right? So you can configure these in a bunch of different ways. And then you can go and give these other powers. So like the treasury, for example, says like, okay, if you we have this account or address on Polkadot that corresponds to the treasury, that everybody wants to use and like, you know, we like does funding for events or projects or wallets and infrastructure, uh, all this, all this stuff. Um, and the treasury just says like, well, you need to have a special origin because, of course, we can't just have everybody like accessing the treasury uh, because people would just take it, right? So you can say, well, okay, the treasury origin is going to be, um, say, we need seventy-five percent of the council, right? So you can kind of like. You can actually take these collectives that have collected a group of addresses and basically create a whole new origin from this collective. Um, so it's really powerful because then you can write these like mid-privileged functions um, that says like, well, okay, this this collective can can do this certain thing, um, but normal users can't, right? So the collectives parachain is just a place where we can put a bunch of instances of this collectives palette. And we can basically make these as like collectives that are supposed to be uh, stewards of the Polkadot network. So we have all this stuff that we want to do um, on chain that we don't really want to have like companies behind, right? Because like legal entities are stoppable and we want to build unstoppable things. So the, the chain has to be kind of like self-sustaining, right? And, and these can have like various powers, even no powers beyond just like managing themselves. Right, so like the the first collective that we want to have on this collective parachain is called the Polkadot Alliance. Uh, this was an idea that came uh, from one of the ecosystem teams, I think, about two years ago, uh, and we're finally making it a reality. Um, but this is just a group of. It's supposed to be like um, either like companies or projects. Um, it's not really supposed to be individuals, although I guess uh, I suppose it could be. Um, but these are more like long-standing members of the Polkadot ecosystem who have contributed a lot to the Polkadot movement, right? So um, people who have like written a lot of like original code or like contributed a lot of code that's been reused by other people. Um, 
and projects who are like, we could say like acting in good faith, right? And then there's a lot of other projects who have like misused that, right? There are projects who just copy paste code and, and don't like give any attribution to it. There are projects who kind of say like, oh yeah, we're a POCO whatever, but like they've just launched an ERC-20 token and they have no really like real intent to actually contribute to Polkadot at all, right? So what the Alliance can do is just basically like maintain a list of, you know, it could be either projects or accounts and it can say like, yeah, these are projects that we kind of are like, it actually maintains URLs, not project names. Like these are URLs that kind of correspond to like disingenuous actors. And these are addresses that correspond to like maybe scammers or, or something like this. And this doesn't have any kind of like actual protocol governance power, right? Like the system isn't going to say like, oh, the Alliance doesn't like this address, so you can't send to it. Um, it's still completely permissionless and, you know, these addresses have the same are treated the same as any other, but like this could be really valuable to front ends and wallets, right? So like, um, and same for like the positive, not just the negative. Like uh, someone who's a member of the alliance, you know, maybe they can put a badge on their their wallet or their website that's like you know like member of the alliance or, or something, and, and then that can give users some confidence that like they're actually interacting with like someone who's been who's been vetted and like accepted by other teams in the community as like someone who's contributing a lot. And the cool thing about blockchain is like, sure, anybody can just like copy paste a logo and throw it on their website. But like we have cryptography and consensus. You can actually look and say like, is there a signature uh, or like cryptographic information on this website that actually corresponds to an account that's a member of the Polkadot Alliance? You can verify like this is actually a member of the Alliance. And same like, if you want to like send your dot to an address that's been like listed by this alliance, your wallet could just say like, "Hey, you know, you're free to do what you want. Like, it, it, it's your dot, but like this address has been flagged, so maybe you want to just do a little bit of extra research before you interact with it." Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So it, it sounds like we're we're moving towards you know less trust, more truth, where it's on chain verifiable, uh, but still in a decentralized way, we can uh, create these groups that uh, act as kind of the uh, Shield bears almost a, a, a way to um, to ferret out folks that might want to take advantage of other other people. Yeah, and that's just the first. Like, there's going to be way more. There's this, like technical fellowship. Uh, there's like, and there's a bunch of other programs. Like, there's this like Polkadot ambassador program. Um, like, all of this stuff can be put into on-chain collectives that have like whether they want to like maybe some of them could be given like um, a certain budget from the treasury, right? Like. Like the Polkadot ambassadors host a bunch of events all over the world, right? And um, maybe we could say that, like, okay, the this collective can access like X dot per month or whatever in order to like do events, and it doesn't have to go through like the normal governance process because like they've been elected by the community and like chosen as ambassadors, and we kind of like we we kind of see that they're using this in a good way, right? Um, or you could have collectives that just like. They just signal stuff like the alliance that's just saying like, hey, this is our opinion. Like these are lists of, of addresses or websites that we think you should use caution when interacting with. Um, imagination is the limit, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of stuff we can do, like from even like governance privilege to treasury privilege to just like um, organizations that are acting like in the service of Polkadot and making it a good experience to be part of Polkadot. Mm -hmm. um yeah, I wanted to, to pull on one of the threads you just led there and the imagination being the limit. Um, what is, suppose I have an idea for a collective, what is the process of 
creating a collective um, and could is it possible that I could maybe create like a DAO of sorts uh, using the collective palette? Yeah, so um, right now, like for making a new collective, there's usually how it works is like, if you, well, so if you just want to create origins, then you basically can like create a new instance of this collective palette. And then you'd have to like, you'd have to add this to the runtime of the collective's parachain and then have this included in a runtime upgrade. So it would mean, um, going to the governance of Polkadot and saying like we want to add this to the uh, collective's runtime and like this is like the justification for having this new collective, right? So this would just be like you add a palette that already exists and configure it, give it an origin and say like this is how this is like the power that this origin should have in the network. Um, and then if you wanted to like do something a little bit more custom or unique, like for the alliance, it wants to store this list of addresses. Um, it also has this thing. I think the storage item in code is called like the rule, but it's kind of like the guiding document of like, these are the standards we uphold. This is what it means to be a member. This is how members are chosen. This is how this, these are the conditions that we would like put accounts or websites on this like, uh, you know, bad list. I think I called it the unscrupulous list. <laughs> uh, this is how you become unscrupulous. This is what qualifies as, as unscrupulous. So that kind of needs like an extension for this kind of custom functionality. So same thing, like you would take the collectives and then code up this extension, try to add that to the collectives parachain via a governance referendum. And then like, as far as like extensibility into just like a create your own DAO without like a runtime upgrade, uh, collectives can't do that, at least not yet. Like, um, and this is actually like a really interesting, uh, a really interesting area for me. And I haven't fully thought through my opinion, but like, so Polkadot and Substrate have these really powerful primitives like origins and collectives uh, to be able to like come to collective agreement and like dispatch some executable instruction as a group instead of like as an individual account, right? And even like the Tech Fellowship has some really advanced stuff like a ranked membership. So instead of like one user having one vote, um, the members can kind of like uh, promote themselves or like higher members can promote lower members. Um, the highest member would need like a governance referendum to promote them even higher. Um, but like the higher tiers can have more voting power than the lower tiers, right? And a lot of DAOs have their own token as part of the DAO, right? And it's like, well, if you can express that in this like ranked voting system and just like member classification and like how you give voting rights to different members, then maybe it makes sense to have this as like a system chain to allow people to organize in very flexible ways. But if it's like, well, we want to like launch our like token model here. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like maybe we we make it so that like you can issue the, the asset on statements and then like link those voting rights to some like DAO, DAO chain. Um, but this also like, this might be something that's just better served uh, by the market. And like, I, I've heard of a few projects that are working on like DAO chains and, and everything like that. And um, this kind of like really like customizable, extensible work, like I think we can take this origin idea from collectives. And if you combine it like with smart contracts or something, you can make it a lot more powerful. And that might just be something that comes about in the market. We might see something also on the system side that we just decided like, oh, this is like a really powerful thing a really powerful primitive that Polkadot can offer, and anybody should be able to create a collective and operate like as this collective entity within the network. So then it might make sense more as a system chain. But uh, yeah, we don't know, and like, be very interesting to, to keep discussing this.
Absolutely. Yeah. Always, uh, always thinking five steps ahead and seeing where we're going. It's, um, it's the, the most fun to, uh, to speculate and then to, to build towards something. Let's, uh, let's finish off the collectives topic with, um, we mentioned that there's a vote up right now that uh, is being passed by, may or may not be passed by governance. What does that vote mean for the collectives parachain? Yeah, so it basically registers the genesis of the collectives parachain and it'll start creating blocks. And uh, these blocks will basically all be empty because, uh, well, nobody can transact on it because uh, in order to send dot to this chain, you have to teleport it. It won't accept any other means of transfer. And so uh, the relay chain doesn't trust it, at least not yet, as a trusted teleporter. So you won't be able to send dot to it. You won't be able to pay transaction fees. So it'll be producing like empty blocks, uh, at least for like, you know, maybe the, the first week or two, right? And then the way this goes forward is that like, um, there's, there's a few ecosystem teams who are discussing like, how do we want to structure the, and like the initialization of the alliance, like we need, we'll need another governance motion to basically send a message to uh, to the collectives parachain and say uh, these are the initial members of the alliance, like these are the founders, and then uh, those founders can nominate other members to join uh, and, and promote them like into the alliance. So it'll be one more governance motion to actually get um, to get the alliance initialized with some teams. And then we can add it as a trusted teleporter to the relay chain. There's two ways to actually join this alliance. One is that you get nominated by one of the founders, uh, and then the other members can vote on whether or not they want to accept you into uh, into being a voting member. Yeah, sorry, I should back up. This is like a semi-ranked uh, collective. There's uh, there's three levels. There's ally, fellow, and then founder. And so. Uh, founders and fellows have voting rights, so they're the ones who would decide, like, we want to add uh, this account to our unscrupulous accounts list. Um, and they would also choose, like, we want to promote somebody from being an ally to being a fellow and being a voting member, right? So anybody can join as an ally. It doesn't mean you have voting rights. It just means, like, you're an ally. And you have to put down a, a deposit in dot in order to join as an ally. Um, and, and if some unscrupulous person uh, or a company tries to join as an ally and the founders or fellows uh, vote to eject them from the alliance, that deposit actually gets slashed. So um, be careful. If, if you want to join the alliance, it can have a lot of uh, upside, but uh, it's, uh, you, you should have a look at it first, basically. So yeah, once, once we have this group of like founders and fellows, um, people can join as an ally and put down this deposit and then the founders and fellows can can vote to um, bring them, like elevate them into being a voting member. Uh, but I like I predict that a lot of uh, a lot of entities will just stay an ally, right? Like they just want to show that they've been uh, that they're an ally to the Polkadot network, um, that they've been accepted into this group by the the founder, the voting members, basically. Um, and they might not want to participate like on a day-to-day -day basis in actually like evaluating all the claims that are coming to this group, but they just want to signal like, hey, we're aligned with this group. Very cool. Um, and just quickly, the the bond that uh, might get slashed, where does the slashed funds go? Does it go to an alliance treasury? Uh, this is this is pretty cool. Um, and this might be like the first case of like a, a hook that triggers a cross-chain message, but it actually goes to the treasury on the relay chain. Whoa. So if you get slashed, it actually just constructs a teleport transaction and teleports it to the treasury account on the relay chain. Very cool. 
eating the own, our own dog food using that XCM. Um, okay, I want to um, talk a bit more about the Bridge Hub and all of development that's going on there. So Collectives is up for referendum vote right now, um, and it's going to be launching provided that the referendum passes. Where is Bridge Hub in the development cycle? Yeah, so uh, we've done quite a lot of testing on bridges in general, and they basically just pass message blobs, right? So the bridge hub parachain stuff is like, we've actually done successful tests of this, I think between Rokoko and Wokoko. Um, there's like these like, like a ranked set of like test nuts that you go through before you get to like Polkadot and Kusama. So like it started out with like Rialto, Mialto, and then Rokoko, Wokoko. And then I think we'll do like Rokoko, West End. Uh, and then finally it can go like Kusama, Polkadot. Um, and that's at least for like the, the Polkadot Kusama bridge, of course. And then like Snowfork has made a lot of progress on their own of like developing their Ethereum bridge, right? So we've actually done a lot of work in like uh, preparing this for launch and it's mostly ready. So the thing that it actually needs to launch is XCM v3. Mm -hmm. So uh, both networks, Polkadot and Kusama run on XCM v2 right now. And uh, basically, yeah, for the try to keep this non-technical, but like when you have a message, you need to give it a destination. You need to tell it like where it's going, right? So like if you're on statements and you want to go to, um, I don't know, Moon River, right? You would say like, well, uh, I'm a parachain, so uh, I want to go up one level to the relay chain, and then I want to go down one level to Moon River, right? So you would say like, the, the destination or the path to the destination is uh, parent Moon River, right? And but like in XCM v2, these parachains they only understand their own consensus system. So like uh, State Mine and Moon River, they don't know that Polkadot and Statement and Moonbeam exist, mm -hmm. right? Like they are their own like consensus unit, and they don't really have this like view into the outside world. So they can only say like. I want to go to, like, I can only go like one parent to Kusama. And if you said like, I want to go parent again, it's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, this is where your consensus comes from. How could there be anything above it, mm -hmm. right? So XCMV2 will just say like, this is nonsense. What are you talking about? So um, XCMV3 adds this, uh, I forget if it's called like the universal or global um, consensus location. I kind of like, uh, you know, I used to work in like satellite stuff. I kind of like universal because like I can kind of think of like galaxies as looking like spiral galaxies as like relay chains. So it's like I'm in the universe and I want to pick my galaxy type of thing. Anyway, side notes. Uh, XCMV3 has this like, you know, universal consensus location that's like above the relay chain. So, and it would also be like above ETH, above Bitcoin, all this stuff, right? So like in XCMV3, if you want to send from state mine to statement, you can say, I want to go parent, parent, polka dot, statement. And uh, what would actually happen is, of course, like Kusama, the relay chain, it doesn't have to understand that polka dot is out there, right? Like, it's not going to know about like statement and moonbeam and, and all this other stuff. Um, but what we can say is, like, in statement, we can say, like, in the XCM configuration, there's this. One of the configuration items is called the router, uh, which makes sense because it's going to route the messages. So the router can say like, if the path to wherever the destination includes parent parent, which sends us into this universal consensus land, we can't go there because that's 
like it doesn't really exist, but we know that that means go to the bridge hub because that's like that's our that's our door to the universe, if you will. And so it says like, okay, parent parent, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. That's outside, so I'm gonna go to my door. Uh, I'm just gonna send this message to the bridge hub, and the bridge hub sees, ah, you want to go to Polkadot. Um, and it doesn't even need to look at like the statement part anymore, right? Like it doesn't care about the final destination. It just wants to know like, you know, which galaxy you want to go into, like whether it's Ethereum or Polkadot or something. And so then it can say, right, you want to go to Polkadot, so we'll send this message um, through our Polkadot bridge palette, and uh, it'll arrive on the Polkadot bridge hub. Uh, and these bridge hubs, you know, they speak their same language. So then the Polkadot side can get that and say, okay, right, this wants to go to statements. And of course, from like State mind's perspective, it was just polka dot statements. But from the bridge house perspective, it needs to go up because it's a parachain. It's kind of like on the sibling level of statement. So it needs to say, yeah, okay, we see that you mean like polka dot statement, but we need to go parent statements to get there. So um, we can basically configure these routers to actually understand this universal consensus location and route these messages between entirely different consensus systems. Very cool. The cross consensus messaging system. Um, okay, it sounds like this is already very well, like kind of thought out and planned out. Um, and and is that the only kind of roadblock into launching the bridge hub is uh, XCM three? Yeah, so that requires uh, weights v two. So basically, we have, like we hope that we can get it merged in the next couple of weeks. So it's it's getting quite close. Um, and then the other blocker. It's not really a blocker, it's just something we have to kind of actually implement, or not implement, actually just connect, uh, is we actually have to represent these bridged assets in statements, right? So like right now, a statement, it recognizes dot as its like native asset, and then it has this assets palette uh, that recognizes a bunch of like um, presumably reserved backed assets. So like something like USDT is registered as like asset ID 1984, and like Tether controls that. And so, you know, we, we assume that like it's, you know, it has its reserve backing and everything. Um, but it doesn't play super nice with like other like protocol backed assets, right? Like it doesn't recognize like the Glimmer token or the ACA token or the Astar token. Um, it doesn't recognize ETH, right? And so uh, the direction that we're going is like we can actually say that like, well, we have these multi locations, right? Like, the same XEM destination where we want to say like, oh, send this message, you know, to parent, parent, polka dot statement. We can actually use that to represent asset IDs. So we can actually put like, just like we have multiple instances of the collectives palette to represent different collectives, we can actually have different instances of the assets palette to represent different uh, like classes of asset classes. Uh, so the second, like the first instance, it says an asset is just identified by an integer. So like, if you want to go and say like, uh, you know, I think like remark is asset ID eight and tether is 1984. Like somebody can just look and say like, oh, this number is free. I'm just going to claim it. And like, you know, my asset is number 42, right? And they can like manage their asset there. But then if you want like a protocol to manage the asset, like how does it actually get one of these asset IDs? And then you end up with this like, you know, you need this like, then you need a registry, right? Because if you're like, well, okay, we registered Glimmer as like asset ID 57 on statements, then like somebody has to like, all the wallets have to keep track of that. Like, oh, that's 50, like Glimmer, that's 
57, right? Like, then, then we do a transaction. And it's just, it's not very clean. And you, then you, and you also end up with, like, weird, uh, like, one-to-one -one correspondence issues of, like, well, how do we map, like, asks from Kusama state mine onto, like, statements. And anyway, it, for a number of reasons, it becomes a mess. But we can actually say uh, this other instance of the assets palette, instead of using integers as the asset IDs, it uses multi-locations, like, like XCM delivery instructions as its asset ID. So like if you wanted to represent uh, KSM on statement, it would just, instead of giving it like a number, you would just say it's parent, parent, Kusama. If you want to represent Ethereum on statement, it would be parent, parent, Ethereum. Uh, if you wanted to represent Glimmer on statement, it would be parent Moonbeam, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you can actually just identify these assets by um, like the path to actually get to them. And and these paths, they can continue beyond the network. So like if you wanted to represent like an ERC-20 token from Ethereum, you could do parent, parent, Ethereum, contract address. Wow. And that becomes uh, that ERC-20 token, but like the bridged version on statement and like that path through the consensus universe, that's what actually identifies these assets. And then it makes it very friendly because if you have a wallet and you want to send ETH over the bridge, the asset ETH is actually des designated by the path to send it to its home. That's crazy. I'm going to need a moment to like wrap my head around that one a little bit later. Okay, so uh, if you were to hazard a guess, you said in, in a few weeks, um, some things are going to fall into place, but all of uh, all of the rest of the logic. When when would we actually see a bridge hub referendum go up for vote? Yeah, I hope at least to get the like. Of course, these parachains roll out in like phases, right? So like, we don't really expect that like we just do a referendum and then we have a working bridge, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. there's going to be a referendum to uh, to onboard a parachain. Uh, but it probably won't have like much bridge functionality in it yet. It'll basically be like designated for bridges, mm -hmm. and then there would be like maybe like one or two runtime upgrades of that parachain to add the bridge logic, and then maybe like a final one to enable it, mm -hmm. right, and let people actually start using it. So I would expect to see at least to onboard and reg like register and onboard the uh, the first parachains that will become the bridge hubs by the end of the year. Uh, so it's. November 2nd that we're recording, like in the next two months, I think we can see, expect to see like these parachains come on board, Polkadot and Kusama, and they probably won't have bridges on them by the end of the year, but we'll at least have these parachains running so that when XCMV3 is ready, uh, I think Beefy might have like a couple things. These are like how the bridges kind of like verify each other's consensus. Um, a few things to like do final checks on. When this is all ready, then it's like, yeah, maybe like, Q1 2023, we actually have this like Polkadot Kusama bridge. And um, I think Snowfork released their plans for the Ethereum bridge. It's like Q1 for Kusama Ethereum and Q2 for Polkadot Ethereum. That's very exciting. Tapping into the massive liquidity well of Ethereum and, and making those bridges across is going to be crucial, I think. Okay, so I kind of want to bring things um, back full circle and talk about state mind statement and um, what has happened in this ecosystem since last we talked. I know there's you know reserved back assets, there's non-reserved back assets, um, and there's also NFTs, which maybe folks don't quite know about and hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention. But let's let's pick apart these topics before we wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, so NFTs probably deserves its own episode. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, we've been focusing on like these fungible assets uh, like USDT or Glimmer or DOT or ETH. Uh, but Statement also supports uh, NFTs, uh, non-fungible assets. And it has this palette, uh, it's called the Uniques palette uh, to support these. And this was like really a first iteration. It was kind of like thrown together before we launched StateMine. Um, and it, it has like quite a few features, like, you know, to like create NFT classes um, to give them like attributes and metadata. Um, and we've seen like quite a few projects issue NFTs under this palette, right? There was still like a lot of demand from the, the community uh, of what people wanted, like what kind of features they wanted. And so over the last probably uh, like six months, uh, this one guy, Yegor, has like completely revamped all of the NFT stuff. Like it's not even changes to uniques, it's like a whole new palette. Uh, like I think it's going to be the NFT palette or like palette NFT. So this is going to be like a whole new system. Uh, you should really have him join yeah. to, to go in, into detail, but like- I was just talking to him before we jumped into- Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a ton of stuff about like, um, I think the most interesting feature is like these attributes. So um, you could have an NFT that you own, but then you have this like section of it, of these like attributes of the NFT that you actually let another origin control or update. Mm -hmm. So like this actually plays really well into like the collective stuff. So like you could have somebody who is like a Polkadot ambassador, they're in the ambassador program and they're part of the ambassador collective and they have like their like profile NFT on their account that they're like an ambassador with, right? But then like, I think they have like a bunch of these different like groups, like there's like a group of ambassadors that does events. There's a group that does like content creation um, and then they have like uh, this like ranking system, there's like senior ambassadors and head ambassadors and stuff. And so you could have like, uh, if somebody is like working on events and they change to like focus on content creation that like they get like the collective of the ambassador program like updates their attributes about like their like credentials and like what they've worked on almost like, you know, the, the military badges like mm -hmm. on your uniform, like, accolades. you know, yeah, like your accolades, like it can like, like the collective itself, like you have a, it's still like your NFT and it's like the same asset, but the collective can actually modify it based on like what you do, or maybe like you get promoted. So it like, it changes an attribute of your NFT. Um, whereas like other protocols might have to just like issue a whole new NFT or, or something like this. Is, this is like really cool stuff that we can, we can mix like this NFT functionality with like collectives and, and other stuff going on in the network. Um, and these NFTs will have like a very similar interface. So like you can also identify them by like um, these NFTs that belong to other networks. Um, you can break them up. You can have like an, a fungible asset class that represents a non-fungible token. All of this stuff. Like um, I really don't know like the the details of it. So I should basically stop here and say that statement supports ton of non-functional, non-fungible uh, token capabilities. Uh, and we spent like 90% of the time talking about the fungible side, but uh, it's certainly worth diving into the non-fungible side. And I'm not the guy to uh, to give it enough credit that it deserves. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was just talking to him, and we we're talking about the concept of NFTs 2.0, which has become a little bit of a buzzword in the in the in recent days. Yeah, um, and also like I should add, like um, we developed this as like uh, like the palette was written by like Yegor at, at Parity. Um, 
but we worked with like a ton of teams in the ecosystem. Like I think at least it was like uh, like Remark, Fala, Kilt, yeah. and I think like two or three more. Um, uh, I can't remember everyone off the top of my head. Sorry, um, but like yeah, we got like a lot of feedback about like what kind of interface and functionality people wanted from NFTs on statements, and uh, we really want this to be like something that's. We don't want like statement to like compete with these like very specialized NFT services like uh, you know like there's like Follow World and like Unique Network and like a bunch of other stuff out there and like we really want this to be something that like is useful to the whole community and um, yeah we we just took like a lot of input in developing this and making sure that it, it's uh, it meets everybody's needs and like what they want in like a chain to interact with here. Awesome. Um, all right. I think, I mean, as usual, we never have enough time to cover all of the amazing things that um, you're working on in the space. Um, but I think we're going to start to wind it down. Um, do you have any, any calls to action? Or is there any particular pain points that you would you need help from the community to kind of overcome? Yeah, I mean, stuff we need help from, like definitely tooling, like there's way more tooling that needs to be developed. Uh, we're at this like team retreat now uh, that we've kind of all gotten together, and like just from talking to people, I've come up with like a bunch of ideas for for tools that would be really useful, uh, especially around XCM and just like it's really powerful. We often hear like, oh, like how come XCM doesn't do X? And I was like, well, actually, it can. It's just it's really abstract. Like XCM is a virtual machine itself that you can write. A ton of instructions in, but a lot of people just don't know how to use it. And so, like, uh, some tooling to show, like, not just how to construct transactions, but actually to see what happens, right? Like, if you're a developer and you want to like build a an application, when you when you're developing, like, on your backend, you want to see, like, oh, when I click this button, like, this thing happens, right? You want to actually see the state change, and uh, it's really hard to do because, like, most tooling is designed around, like, you know, EVM, like. Like a single chain, like hard hat or something. So having tooling that can show you a state that's happening on a bunch of different chains without needing to run like all this node infrastructure would be super useful. So that you can just say like, okay, I want to simulate like this multi-chain app that's going to like cause messages to be sent from like chain A to chain B, and to just be able to see that like in a simulator in a test environment, that would be really useful, right? Mm. So like. Just being able to like harness the power of of XCM and uh, like having multi-chain and like actually like uh, Gav described it in a meeting a couple of days ago that like um, it's like it's a completely different paradigm to develop on Polkadot than a lot of other systems and like a lot of processors you know back like 20, 30 years ago they were all single threaded right like mm -hmm. every CPU that you got was single threaded and uh, when the first multi-threaded processors came out, uh, they were like very like touted like, oh, this is like the next next big thing, like multi-core processors. And people were like, well, how come my video game doesn't run faster? Yeah. It's like, well, it was just it was coded like it was designed to run on a single thread. Like it doesn't know how to use all these threads, yeah. right? And so, um, building a better developer experience around having like a lot of these different like threads or chains. Um, and actually being able to see that, like, oh, when I do this thing on this one chain, it sends a message to this other chain, and I can actually see, like, oh, this thing happened or, like, this changed. Um, so this type of, like, tooling and uh, showing people, like, how to interact with the system 
would be really useful just so it's a bit more like interactive and not like this like black box of like, oh, I see a bunch of like hex data that's like all encoded. What do I do with it? But like to actually be able to see in a friendly way, like, oh, I did this on this chain and this other thing happened on this other chain. Uh, that stuff would be really good. Another thing that like would be really useful, just like uh, deployment tooling, like um, how do you actually run these parachain nodes? Um, like how do you interact with them, right? So like um, just like Docker images to like spin up a collator node or just a full node and stuff like this. And like what's what's a good API to like deal with with all this stuff? Like just deployment tooling uh, is really useful. Um, and then finally, like running collators, like for this has been one of those things that like when you launched StateMine, like uh, probably a year and a half ago now, it was like, okay, we need some way to like choose some collators and we put together like a really simple palette that would like let people bond um, and like say I want to be a collator, but it doesn't really have like any kind of like economic incentives except some very like minuscule transaction fees. Um, like, I mean, transaction fees are already like pretty small, relatively speaking, um, at least compared to like the inflation, like the error rewards that go to validators. Um, and on parachains, they're even smaller. It's like one tenth of what's on the relay chain. So, um, especially when it comes to like core system chains, like um, stuff like staking and governance, we want a lot of uh, a lot of people, a lot of decentralization in running these collators. So, uh, it's something we're going to be working on over the coming months. Is like maybe revisiting like uh, we have this like you know every era you have this error payout and like some of it goes to the validator, some of that goes to the treasury. Like, can we also take some of that and give it to collators who are on system chains and uh, make sure that there's like some incentive for them to be a collator on these chains? So um, we hope to kind of like, you know, get that implemented and, and um, get a design going and at least have a proposal in the next, uh, say at least have a proposal in like the next month and, uh, and then start implementing it and uh, get some buy-in from the community. So, um, like, if you're interested in running a collator, like now would be a, a good time to to practice and like get your infrastructure set up going. Um, hopefully, there's like a bit more like incentivization and stuff uh, going on in the future. Um, and also, of course, like if you're interested in the, the actual like protocol design and like the economics of it, then uh, definitely chip in and like you know find like on GitHub or like Polkadot forum uh, contribute to that. Like that would be awesome. Great. Um, so yeah, there you have it, folks. Um, the ball is now in your court. We are always looking for uh, devs and contributors, um, but I think uh, when I talk to folks about that, it sometimes uh, it seems daunting because they think they need to be like a, a core developer and no Rust or anything. But we also need web developers and and um, folks that are going to build the tools that uh, that give us the information that we need to make our products better, as well as infrastructure folks. So if you have um, sysadmin skills, then uh, we need you to come in and help us run validators and collators. Um, but yeah, we're going to wrap it up there. And so thank you very much, Joe, again, for taking some time here and uh, letting us know what you've been up to. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Absolutely, anytime. All right, folks, until next time, take care. Thanks for joining us this week on Relay Chain. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the subjects we talked about today. So please reach out to us on Twitter at Relay Chain or by email podcast at parity.io. The team at Parity has some of the brightest minds working towards building a robust and inclusive ecosystem that puts power back into the hands of its community members. 
With cross-chain communication as a primary goal, we aim to break down the tribalistic barriers that have formed throughout the blockchain industry. If you want to learn more about what we're building, or if you want to join our team, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io slash newsletter. The content presented on Relay Chain is not financial or investment advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to support any specific project. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the podcast guests and hosts and are not necessarily shared by Parity Technologies or Web3 Foundation, who do not endorse or guarantee the accuracy of the information provided.